Welcome to the Social Ideas Podcast, brought to you by the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation. This series looks through the lens of those striving for a better world. I'm Pam Mungrew. 27 years ago, apartheid officially ended in South Africa. 27 years later, the ramifications of systemic racism continue to impact the opportunities for progress. The oppression of colonialism as well as apartheid through legal mechanisms, as well as through a mindset, means that still today, after how many years, 27 years of us being in a democratic system, that we still have huge issues around racism. I mean, it's a global phenomenon, but ours is so deeply ingrained as well at a socioeconomic level. Solange Rosa is the director of the Bertha Centre for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship. The centre is part of the Graduate School of Business at the University of Cape Town, South Africa. We were established uh, by the Bertha Foundation, which is where we got the name from, in order to infiltrate the MBA programme, so to speak, and try to create a sense of social conscience, social activism amongst business leaders that we were training up at the center, um, as well as attracting other people to doing courses on social impact at a business school that wasn't necessarily an MBA. We run an MPhil in inclusive innovation, um, as well as a number of executive education courses on innovative finance, education innovation, and systems change. So anybody can apply for those. You don't have to you know, have an undergrad. You don't have to have business connections and um, expertise, etc. So trying to increase the pool of people who then access executive education courses from the GSB with a social lens to them. And so that's what we were originally set up to do. And then we've grown since then in doing research and projects around thematic areas related to innovation, in particular education, health, innovative finance and youth development. And then we have an overall systems change lens that we apply, which really is trying to look at ecosystems, how they work together and how we can advocate for social change within those systems where social change is needed. Do you find that students from the MBA willingly come to you to find out about social impact, social innovation and social entrepreneurship? No, so fortunately, we have given them no choice. (laughs) Um, So they have to do a compulsory course as part of their MBA on social innovation and entrepreneurship. And then there's an elective course that they can do, which is called the Social Innovation Lab, where they then actually design a social enterprise and build on an idea and then try and pilot and test it in, in their groups. So we managed to get that core component into the NBA so that people who don't know enough about it or who don't think it's important are actually forced to to think about social issues and how they can go back into their businesses or whatever sectors they're from and then apply a social lens to what they're doing and hopefully improve society rather than just making profits. But to your question, nevertheless, I think that there are a, a lot of MBA students who are not interested in it, nevertheless. They they don't want to do the course. They don't know why it's compulsory. 
So there definitely is pushback and only some of the students are interested enough to then go and kind of seek us out or, or really, you know, think about what this means for them beyond their MBA degrees. Unfortunately, there are clearly socially innovative and entrepreneurial needs that South Africa has. What are they? So there's a vast array of social challenges that we obviously have in South Africa linked to apartheid, linked to the remnants of apartheid and the vast inequality and poverty that is still experienced in South Africa as a highly unequal country. So this means that the public sector is generally responsible for ensuring that people who don't have sufficient income are supported with education services, with health services, with social services, with basic services like energy and water, with housing, etc. And so this is a, a massive task for the public sector to undertake and especially to undertake in a way that is qualitatively the same as people who are providing for themselves through you know private enterprises and so there's a, a lot of space for people who have a social conscience and who are interested in setting up social enterprises to try and fulfill these needs to try and fill these gaps so to speak so you know, whether you're running an early literacy program or a youth skills development program, there is such a, a huge need because we have, for example, high youth unemployment rates. We have high dropout rates from high school. Uh, we have low literacy and numeracy rates, even though you go to school. So in order to try and rectify and plug some of those gaps, and they are related not just to the fact that the public sector is delivering them at scale and en masse, but also that there's a history of apartheid and an inequitable distribution of resources that means that people don't have the same kinds of quality of access. So there's a lot of room for trying to address these socioeconomic challenges, whether you're setting up an NGO, a non-government organization, or whether you're setting up a a business or a company, redress is, is something that is widely needed across, across the board. I mean, those are huge challenges, first of all, to, to consider and then to design and deliver something. But it is in the delivery. How do you manage that? Because your needs in South Africa will, will differ vastly from the delivery needs in the UK, Europe and the US. So, so the, what we try to inculcate is being able to firstly understand what the problem is and what the need is from the perspective of the user or the beneficiary or you know the the person who's directly affected their particular circumstances here and so being able to start from that point of view then you're able to build a solution or an idea around that and so the context is extremely important. What are the challenges? What are the hindrances? And so, for example, in trying to, we're we trying to focus on youth development and trying to address youth unemployment rates. You know, a large part of the problem is young people dropping out of school and then not having the relevant skills that they need for an economy that is demanding higher levels of skills globally as well as in South Africa. And so, you know, that challenge is similar, but we have 
low-skilled young people who are falling out the education system and then not being able to come back in to an employment situation. And so trying to fill that gap and give them skills, whether it's entrepreneurial skills, whether it's, you know, literacy and numeracy skills, trade skills, etc. One of the challenges, for example, is access to, to data and access to technology. So in a developed context, that would not be difficult, so to speak. And so whereas in a South African context, if you're trying to do skills development for young people who are not in employment or education, you can't assume that they have access to technology, to data, to phones, to computers. So your solution can't be designed with a developed context in mind. It's got to be designed in a way that takes into account where people are at and the huge disenfranchisement as well as lack of access to communication devices and platforms, etc. So things like that make it more difficult and make it very different. So that's what we try and design around. And that's what we try to, you know, to work around the context that we live in, really. When we started this conversation, before I pressed record, we were talking about the positive impact that you would hope to have on the infrastructure in South Africa. And you said to me, infrastructure, why don't we talk about soft infrastructure? Is, does that relate then back to this development of skills in the youth population? Yes, exactly. So when we talk about soft infrastructure, it's exactly that. So, you know, the government and the private sector are largely putting in infrastructure like roads and communication networks, etc. But the people who need to build them, the people who need to operate them, the people who need to engage with them need to have the skills to be able to do that. And so that is what we call the, the soft infrastructure. And that kind of training is something that we do a lot of at the Bertha Center, as I said, through our executive education courses. But we also partner with other organizations to give people entrepreneurial skills. So especially to set up social impact organizations. So they can get training on things like you know, how to take your idea into the market, how to identify your market, how to market your product, how to, yeah, how to basically set up a business or an NGO and then go and get funding or figure out how your income is going to work. And so we do that with a large focus on young people, especially. So, you know, if you're not going to be able to find a job because there are very few jobs available, then how can we help to create the skills or to develop your skills in order for you to potentially create your own job and other jobs for other people? So that skills training, whether you're a young person who's a neat and not in education, employment and training, or whether you're somebody who comes from the private sector and goes and does an MBA, and then you're given the skills to think innovatively around your social impact. That is definitely a core part of what we do at the Bertha Center. Going back to something you mentioned earlier, you, you mentioned apartheid. I'm curious, what are the continued ramifications then of colonialism in South Africa? So both colonialism and apartheid, I think on the level of the mind and the being, inculcated in people 
a different sense of who is valued and who is worthwhile and who isn't. So largely white people were valued and worthwhile and people of color were not. And so the remnants of that mindset is that differential resources were then allocated to different people's well-being and progress and and their ability to thrive as human beings. And so the oppression of colonialism, as well as apartheid, through legal mechanisms, as well as through a mindset, um, means that still today, after how many years, 27 years of us being in a democratic system, that we still have huge issues around racism. I mean, it's a global phenomenon. It happens in in the UK, just as it happens in the US and Germany, France, South Africa. But ours is so deeply ingrained as well at a socioeconomic level. So, you know, people who are of color live in not well-located land. When they were moved to the periphery of a city where there was less access to water, where the land was not fertile. So people still live in those same areas with those same challenges of not being able to uplift themselves from poverty because the situation, the spatial, what we call the spatial apartheid of the city is still based on color, literally. And so, you know, if you ever visit Cape Town, you will see, you will drive from the airport to town and the closer you get to the mountain, the more kind of rich and fertile the soil is and the more affluent the areas are and the whiter the suburbs are. And on the outskirts, you'll see townships of basically informal shack dwellers, you know, without access to running water or electricity, and and hundreds and thousands of people living in conditions like that. And so that mindset and that structure is almost like cement in our society. Like you, you need, you know, massive jackhammers and mechanisms to unearth, to rejig, to ensure that the same people who are still suffering are people of color as they were in apartheid, as they were in colonial times. It's just like, it's such a hard thing to shift. And so poverty in South Africa is largely black. And that is because of apartheid and colonialism. And that is the sad reality that we have in this country. So, and that we have to continue to address. So there are many programs that are in place in trying to redress that by putting more resources. Before there were very little resources put into people of color. Now, like it's being reversed, but the quality of that and the scale is a huge challenge. How do you, as an educator, of social innovation and social enterprise. How do you then take this history and attempt to change it, I suppose? I can't think of a different word, but how do you attempt to change it through how you educate your students? So I think, again, it's about trying to change mindsets and maybe that sounds glib, but if somebody, you know, who grows up in an affluent place goes to a, a 
affluent school and only associates themselves in elite circles, then they don't think about their privileged situation and what they can give back and what they can contribute and where other people might sit and why is that the situation and why is it not reversed, you know? And so people, if they don't think about those things, then they're not going to try and change them. So, you know, through our courses and through, you know, the MBA, et cetera, we're not going back to like teaching people about, you know, what apartheid is and what colonialism is. I mean, they should know that by now, but we do make them think about, well, what are the consequences of these legacies and what is your responsibility doesn't matter that you didn't come up with the apartheid. You didn't implement it. It was your forefathers or whatever, you know, the excuses. It doesn't matter. You as a human being on this planet, in this context, have a social responsibility to try and reconstruct and reconfigure society in a way that makes it more equitable. And so how can you do that at the same time as furthering yourself, you don't have to become a degenerate. You can continue to, <laughs> you know, make something of your career, etc. But at the same time, you're also thinking about the social consequences of what you do. So that's the mindset that we try to create so that people are intrinsically motivated to try and address these challenges with whatever skills and resources they have to bring to bear. Just kind of tying back to the MBA students that you have, do you find a lot of kickback on that? Yes, we do. And I think that's what I was saying earlier, is there is pushback. That's not what they've come to do at an MBA. They've come to like, you know, skill themselves up to be managers and business leaders and make more profit and, you know, manage staff better and figure out business strategy happen. We also provide scholarships actually for MBA students and for MPhils. So we provide 10 scholarships a year. And I mean, they're, they're expensive degrees. So we provide those scholarships for people who wouldn't ordinarily be able to afford, obviously, to do those degrees. And only if they have a specific social purpose that they are wanting to do an MBA to help them advance. So that's how we also motivate people. On your website, on the website for the Bertha Centre, you categorise your work as researching, educating, convening and catalyzing. I get what the first two are. Can you explain what you mean by convening and catalyzing? Okay, great. So convening is one of the central ways in which we try to to bring people together and in order to innovate through collaboration. So what we call radical collaboration is often bringing people together around particular topics or around particular socioeconomic challenges that wouldn't ordinarily put their minds together to solve. And so having a multidisciplinary perspective, bringing in people from different sectors, from different organizations. So through whether it's having seminars or webinars or workshops or conferences, we often are asked to bring people together because we have good networks 
across sectors. So even though we're located in a business school, we have a lot of people on our database who are part of non-government organizations and then for-profit organizations, but with a social purpose and then academics and public sector officials. And so we bring together quite a, a multitude and multiplicity of people. So that's our convening space. And then our catalyzing is basically trying to implement test projects. So pilot projects, demonstration projects, whatever you want to call it. That, for example, the social impact bond, I don't know if you've heard of them, but they started in the UK actually, and then we copied. So social impact bond is government and the private sector paying for social impact or outcomes rather than paying for outputs. Like how many people have you been participated in your workshop would be your output, but actually how many lives did you change? And then we will pay you for that. So it doesn't matter how you do it. You can do it via workshops. You can do it via outreach projects. You can do it by gardening. We don't care as long as those kids are well-nourished. At the end, we will pay you. And so it's just a particular contracting system that pays for outcomes rather than for outputs. And so that is one of the things we implemented for the first time in South Africa. So that would be like catalyzing private and public resources, plus the delivery. Our social impact bond was actually around early childhood development. Um, And then an organization that was supporting early childhood development was implementing it. So we bring these different stakeholders together, try something new, and then figure out and then write about what's worked, what hasn't, and then how can we do it again somewhere else. So that's what we mean by the catalyzing piece. So alongside the practical application of social enterprise and social innovation, obviously, you know, the first word, how do you use then the research that's conducted by the centre to underpin both what you're teaching and the success of social innovation and social enterprise in South Africa? Well, as you've said, we try to do it based on the applied research. So, so what it is that we're trying and then how are we writing about those lessons, etc. I mean, you know, one can also look at the research that's done on these issues around the world and compare and But we write a lot about what our experience is of actually implementing these kinds of projects and what are the potential opportunities for scaling them up. So what are the lessons, what our experience is. We've got quite a few publications. If you go onto our website around the innovative finance space and what we've done with social impact bonds, our Green Outcomes Fund, which is trying to support green, small, um, medium, and micro enterprises. And then also there's a few publications around innovation in the education space and innovation in the health space. So we also try and uncover and say, okay, well, what is out there? Not just the work that we're doing, but what is out there that other people are doing? And then try and showcase that in order to inspire people to either upscale the ones that are available or innovate, you know, similar to what they see um, and learn about. So that's the kind of research we do is trying to also uncover what is impactful in the social innovation and entrepreneurship space out there. And what can we do to support those organizations and those individuals to do what they do better? That's the information we try and give them and publicize. 
I want to swing back very briefly to your MBA students and the concept or the, the practice of a business school in South Africa. Does the model need to change? Because it strikes me that it seems very global north in the way it delivers its MBA. And is that actually appropriate for a country like South Africa and a continent like Africa? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a great question. And I, I mean, I, I, I don't know the answer of how it should look, but I, I think the answer is yes, that it needs to, you know, not follow that kind of traditional format. And I think it has tried to move away a little bit from that by having this compulsory social innovation entrepreneurship course, and then having different electives like the innovative finance elective and the social innovation lab. But I think, you know, what you're saying makes me think that it's not, it doesn't go far enough, basically. And so, yes, it, in the traditional sense, it builds capacity of managers and leaders to go back into the business world or the public sector and go and manage better and strategize better, etc. There are some other components to talk about business government and society where they also talk about how, you know, you can go out and try and creates a better world. But it's not what that MBA is about. That MBA is still fundamentally about upskilling you to increase your way up the hierarchy, really. Finally, Solange, what is the future for the Bertha Center and the work that it does? Oh, I love that question because it's so timely. We've just finished our strategic planning process for the next five years. And so we are committed to creating um, thousands of change makers and through our executive education courses and through the MBA um, as much as we possibly can and the MPhil as well as other programs that we have to really try and promote and create a network throughout Africa not just in South Africa, we're very committed to the rest of Africa, but we need to be much more deliberate about reaching out. So that is what we're going to be doing for the next five years. Um, and then also trying to galvanize more resources. So whether it's from private or public sector to be able to support people who are wanting to be change makers to go out there and address socioeconomic as well as environmental challenges. So we also wanna have much more of an impact um, in climate justice um, areas. And then finally, the other exciting areas that, that we talk about systems change and how we wanting to change the, the structure of society that is fundamentally warped. And so we wanna to continue to build on that. And so that we can create a more equitable society. And then how to do that through influencing more policy change and governance innovation in a way that allows citizens to participate more in decision making around you know how society is structured so we're very committed to thinking about innovations in uh, citizen participation spaces as well as policy development spaces that was Solange Rosa, the director of the Bertha Centre for Social Innovation and Entrepreneurship at the University of Cape Town, South Africa. You can find out more about the Cambridge Centre for Social Innovation by following us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, LinkedIn and YouTube.